Today on Ag News Daily. We truck a long way from our farm to the nearest elevator, 100 miles one way. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Hope everybody had a fantastic 4th of July. My name is Delaney Howell, joined by my co-host, Mike Pearson. Good afternoon, Delaney. That's just the two of us. We're not joined by intern Hannah today. That's right. We let her take the day off to enjoy some time with family. You bet. We went on a road trip, saw some crops moving across Mm -hmm. the western Iowa along I-80 there, saw some brownouts there in the uh, Missouri River, and things weren't weren't looking great. You can tell they got some rain. Definitely. Lots of rain across the country. Yes. Well, Delaney, what's going on? What's happening in the news? There's a lot happening in the news, and of course, today is July 5th. And today is the day that tariffs go into effect with Mexico. All right. So how many dollars worth of goods now have tariffs I on? don't know. A lot. But yeah, when that. we look at um, Mexico and Canada and NAFTA negotiations, Christia Freeland, which is Canadian's foreign minister, foreign affairs minister, issued some statements yesterday, excuse me, on Tuesday, uh, saying that she's spoken with U.S. Trade Representative Robert Lighthizer six times over the last week about getting NAFTA kicked into high gear this summer. President Trump apparently made uh, comments on Sunday in Fox News that he is not in any rush until our fall midterm elections are completed to, quote, get a better deal for the U.S. Hmm. Now, that's an interesting approach. Waiting until after the elections yes. before making a big push on NAFTA. Huh. And, you know, if I remember correctly, AMLO, uh, the new president of Mexico or the recent president-elect, has also said he is willing to hold off and, and wait a bit. So maybe that'll be the theme there with NAFTA is we'll keep that uncertainty in the picture going forward. I don't know. Uncertainty causes volatility, I suppose, in the markets. Yes, it does. Well, let's see. I've got, got some news here. A lot of us in uh, agriculture don't yet have solar-powered vehicles. We're not all driving Teslas. We don't have uh, wind-powered tractors. So crude oil is important to a lot of us. And President Donald Trump has been on a tear against OPEC, the Organization of Petroleum Exporting Countries, and he's accused them of driving gasoline prices higher, and he is urging them to do more. And um, I think that's interesting. Because OPEC, uh, as far as I'm aware, and listeners, tune in if I'm getting this wrong. I've, I've been wrong a time or two in my day. Mm. But I believe OPEC was created expressly to manipulate oil prices and drive them higher. So, I mean, it's kind of asking OPEC to go against their own, uh, what would you call it, self-interest. Value, yeah, yeah, self-interest. Yeah, he, he tweeted out uh, this morning, and he says OPEC, uh, the OPEC monopoly is driving gas prices up. They're doing little to help. And he finished it in all caps. He says, reduce pricing now, exclamation point on Twitter. I guess I don't know how many of the sultans of various Arab nations are on Twitter to even (laughs) interact with President Trump. But I suppose that's a possibility. Interesting. I don't don't know. Yeah. I've got a question for you before we get to the other news. Yesterday was 4th of July, Independence Day in the United States of America. Do you have all your fingers? Yeah, I've got all ten of them. You got all ten? Ten toes? Ten toes. Oh, so you had kind of a boring Fourth of July <sighs> then, huh? 
Um, I'm going to guess comparably to whatever you're about to say next. No, I was just curious. I still have all 10 of mine, and, you know, I, I, I did have kind of a boring 4th of July. Oh. I don't have any news to tell you, and I was just curious. That's just a really random uh, random question, Mike. Well, I'd kind of forgotten that we were already on the 5th of July, and then I remembered, so I figured I'd better ask. Yeah, all 10 toes, all 10 fingers. All right, well, let's Would you that. be worried if I said I had 11 toes or 11 fingers? Well, I would be confused. <laughs> I split one in half. Gross. Go to your news, <laughs> Eleni. All right. Well, you're the one that started that discussion. I did, but I didn't think you were a mutant. Well, whatever. Okay, so uh, tomorrow we have tariffs that go into effect with China. And ahead of that, China has been trying to put pressure on the European Union to issue a joint statement against President Trump's trade policies. And they are having uh, the Sino-European Summit in Beijing on July 16th through the 17th. And... The European Union has said that they are not, they're not keen on the idea of rallying with Beijing against Washington and against the U.S. So it looks like China is kind of on their own for that at the moment. However, China is also censoring news, apparently, to their people. They've ordered state media not to report on comments from President Trump or U.S. officials because of the trade conflict. And China told its media to not attack Trump's vulgarity and instead told them to promote, quote, economic bright spots um, by using important page placement. So we're going to have Monty James on the podcast tomorrow just to talk about what he's seen, what he heard when he was in China. So it's going to be interesting to see, do the Chinese people, A, really know what's going on, and B, what does the media portray if they're not portraying, you know, the full scheme of events? Right. I mean, that's... uh... One of the upsides, I suppose, if you've got state-controlled media, is you get to tell them what to print and really shape that narrative yeah. for your your readers. Yep. Um, while we're while we're talking about China, I've got some news here. This is from Reuters, and it re- relates directly to China. We've been talking in the American commodity industry that really one of the next big drivers for corn demand could be China's push to move to an E10 ethanol blend, 10% ethanol mm-hmm. in their gasoline. Well, now that's in doubt. Apparently, China is putting that on the back burner. They were really looking forward to uh, purchasing corn from the U.S. to meet that demand if they needed to. And now, of course, there's some uncertainty there. And so Chinese state-controlled producers, the uh, Costco, uh, Jilin Fuel, and the China's State Development and Investment Corporation are now drawing up new plans to double output and still kind of chew through their own stocks of corn. But uh, so far, they've only China has only greenlit one ethanol plant, and that's not going to get them to E10. So that's on a slowdown as these trade battles continue to gobble up front-page news mm-hmm. here across the world. Yeah, is it 2020 that they want to be E10? Yep, that was their plan, was 2020. Well, that's not very far away. No, it's not. And if they're only building one plant this year, it's not going to happen by 2020. No, I would say probably not. Yeah. So what else you got for us? Well, we have, as of July 3rd, 21,212 dairy farmers enrolled for the Dairy Margin Protection Program. However, the USDA said they're still compiling numbers. And so far, they've paid out about $141 million in indemnity payments which is on average about $6,600 per farm that has been enrolled. Mm. 
Well, sixty six hundred bucks. That's better than a poke in the eye with a sharp stick. That's right. Um, I, you know, I'm, I'm coming back to ethanol. Okay. You know, we're coming into farm bill year. We're going to yes. hear lots of talk of farmers getting subsidies and the government just handing out money for ethanol and so forth. And, uh, you know, a lot of that gets brought up against the ethanol industry. And I've got a, a, an article here from Reuters, and it's talking about one of the indirect subsidies that the oil industry receives. And that is the United States Navy. Hmm. So... The country of Iran, the, they're not big big fans of ours, nor are we big fans of theirs uh, politically. Their Revolutionary Guards have said they're going to block oil shipments through the Strait of Hormuz, which is the strait that connects the Persian Gulf with the Indian Ocean. It's where the vast bulk of uh, oil exports come from. And the U.S. Navy has said they are standing by ready to ensure free navigation and the flow of commerce Basically, kind of a kind of a dare to the Revolutionary Guards. Hey, block the strait, and U.S. Navy has some pretty cool tools at our disposal that uh, could reopen that strait pretty quick. But that's a subsidy to oil that we don't hear about very often. No, it's not at all. Yeah. So anyway, mm. what else you got? The only other piece of news I had today. It's a little bit of a slow news day since uh, folks are on break in D.C. this week. More than 11,000 comments have come in from consumers, from farm groups, from businesses like Hershey's about the USDA's proposed GMO labeling rule. And I think it was pretty obvious that companies argue that foods with genetically modified corn, soybeans, and sugar beets should have to disclose that information. Of course, farmers think that we should not have to disclose that information, especially if these highly refined foods only contain no detectable amounts of the product. So the USDA is kind of behind schedule because they have so many public comments to sort through. Um, and so moving forward, I think that's another issue that Congress is going to have to work to debate. And I'm not positive, but I want to say that that GMO labeling rule is tied to the 2018 Farm Bill. Oh, they might have. That makes sense to bundle it in there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we we had that report last week or two weeks ago from Jason Lusk that, you know, GMO labeling doesn't hurt sales at all. And it makes consumers more confident. So maybe we need to get on board. Maybe. Uh, I've just got one final piece here before we uh, get to the markets. And this is, once again, tariff talk. Uh, Delaney, do you know what happens at 12.01 tonight or Friday morning? Well, the Chinese tariffs start, right? Yes. Yeah. And so China has said they are going to not retaliate Mm. until after our tariffs take effect. So I I assume they're going to let those the Chinese tariffs take effect at probably 12.02 this morning. They really want the U.S. to, as they say, fire the first shot in this tariff battle. And then, of course, the you know, we'll see where it goes from there and whether or not this thing can come to a swift and confident resolution. Huh. Okay. Blaney, hey, actually, while we're here, we both yes. follow this topic. Um, I've got a question for you. Okay. Trade, tariffs, China. Uh-huh. Do we resolve all of this in over or under a month? Over. Over. All right. I'm taking the over, too. Yeah. Listeners, if uh, you've got a different take, tweet at us. Find us on Facebook or Twitter at Ag News Daily. Let us know what you think. Are you optimistic? Do you think we're going to solve this thing on Saturday? Or are you uh, 
in our camp, which is, hey, maybe it'll take a little longer to get things solved. Yeah, I would take, like, the month route, I think, to be honest. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, Delaney, what do you say? Should we uh, uh, take a look at today's markets? Yeah, they're they're not too terrible. Some of the markets are. So, yeah, let's jump into it. So let's jump into it, folks. Our markets are brought to us by our good friends at the Zaner Group. Remember, you can get in touch with them um, by calling 312-277-0050 and put a marketing plan together for your crops. Or you can visit them on the web at Zaner, Z-A-N-E-R.com, and tell them you heard it on Ag News Daily. As we take a look, we've got uh, slight gains here in the corn market. The July contract was up three quarters of a cent at 343 and a half. The December up a quarter at 364 and a half. Losses again in the soybean pit today. The July contract down eight and a half cents at eight thirty five and a half. The November down eight and a half cents to finish at eight fifty five and three quarters. In wheat, big moves to the upside. The July contract up twelve and a half cents, closed north of five dollars for the first time in a little while. July finished the day at five oh four even, and the September contract was up fourteen and a half cents to finish at five oh five and a half. Looking over on the livestock side of the ledger here, we've got mixed trade in fat cattle. The August live cattle contract was down seven and a half cents at 106.37.50. The October was up two and a half cents to close at 110.12.5. In feeder cattle, front two months are down today with the August off 22 and a half cents at 152.57.50. The September down two and a half cents to close at 152.57.50. And mixed trade in lean hogs with July contract down 42 and a half cents at $83.30. The August up a nickel to close the day at 76.05. And of course, we can't forget about dairy. Hopefully some folks had some whipped cream on their pie yesterday. And the July contract, ooh, we didn't have enough whipped cream. July was down 14 cents on the day to close at 14.35. Delaney, why don't you tell us who we're talking to in our interview today? Absolutely. We're talking to Kyle Wasson, who is a farmer, a variety of, he's got a diversified farm, we'll say that in northeastern Montana, about 15 miles south of the Canadian border. So before we hear from Kyle, let's hear a quick word from our friends at Latham High Tech Seeds. I'm joined now by agronomy specialist for Latham High Tech Seeds, Phil Long. And Phil, a lot of folks have been experiencing severe weather. And along with that comes some concern with green snap. What have you been seeing when you've been getting out in the field and what should we producers be doing to prevent this or once this occurs in their field? Yeah, it seems like we can't get away from the severe weather. Heavy heavy winds and, and hail, we've had a lot of that stuff lately and, and now this last weekend it seems like there's a lot of green snaps showing up, you know, and it's just the time of the year, unfortunately, this is the time when you when you hope hope you don't have those strong winds come through. The corn plants are growing really fast. It's that period of rapid growth and and you know those those nodes and those inner nodes just aren't lignified yet. They're not not strengthened up to the point that they will be once they get the tassel and start filling that in. But um, unfortunately, we have a lot of green snap around the around the state. Unfortunately, we we won't expect to, to see an ear for most of those plants because typically typically they break off below the the primary ear. So. You're not going to see yield out of that one. There are there are cases where sometimes you may see an ear pop through, you know, secondary ear if it broke off just below that that primary ear. But uh, you typically you're not going to see you're going to have a, a total loss in terms of that plant. Um, you know, in the future, the the best thing to do really is is try to mitigate that and plant a range of maturities. You know, try to get those plants at different stages so they're at different points in that process. 
uh, during this this key time frame. And and I'd say just pray for less wind. But I know that's that's a hard thing to come across out here in, in this part of the country. It definitely is. And Phil, if folks have questions about their fields or more specifically Green Snap, how can they get a hold of you? Just uh, go to uh, give us a call at one eight seven seven Go Latham or, or send us an email as well. All right. For today's podcast interview, we're going to be having on Kyle Wiston, who is a diversified row crop and also cow-calf farmer from northeastern Montana. Kyle, thanks so much for taking the time to chat with us today. Hey, thank you for calling me. I appreciate it. So, Kyle, tell us, how close are you? You're in northeastern Montana. How far are you there from the Canadian border? Uh, We're about 15 miles from the Canadian border. Uh, right from where my house is. Gee, so Kyle, okay, we're currently sitting in Iowa at 85 degrees and <laughs> stupid humid out. What's the weather like in northeastern Montana right now? You know, today it's it's actually pretty nice out. We've got a, a nice breeze. I think we're in the mid-70s and probably about a 12, 13-mile-an-hour breeze keeping it nice and cool here, which... Uh, is a little odd for us in July, but it's nice. What is it usually this time of year? Uh, upper nineties, hot. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Dry hot. Yeah, we're we're dry heat. Uh, so uh, I, I don't know if it's humid down there or not, but uh, it's just pretty much hot and sunburn weather when it's <laughs> July Fourth area up yeah. here. Gotcha. Now, Kyle, now that kind of introduces my next question, which is you're in a very dry area. Bring us up to speed. What does an operation up there in northeastern Montana look like? What are you guys growing? What are you raising? What's the uh, the, the crop up there? Um, we grow quite a few crops. We, uh, we grow spring wheat, durum, yellow peas, flax. Uh, spring canola. We'll go winter wheat off and on. Um, lentils. Uh, we probably grow nine or ten different crops. Uh, you know, up where up here where we're at, we're close to Canada, so we have the option we can grow pulse crops, peas and lentils and canola. Where it does get cool at night up here, we're you know upper 30s and and 40s at night where it's really cool up here and it's good growing conditions for crops like that that when they're flowering they need that cool weather to uh, produce more product huh okay so walk us through the growing season of what some of those crops look like because a lot of our listeners i think are in the corn belt region they're used to growing soybeans corn wheat a little bit but not some of those specialty crops that you're growing Right. Um, lentils and peas are not very tall at all. We use a flex header, probably a lot identical to the ones they use in soybeans. Um, it pretty much, uh, we have to use a land roller and roll the ground after we've seeded for rocks mostly because peas and lentils will grow, lentils will grow maybe about 12 inches tall. They're they're really short, and peas are about the same. They might come up about 15 inches off the ground, and uh, 
so you use the flex header to kind of just scrape along the ground and and we're fortunate enough we have rocks up here so we got to push them in the ground <laughs> and uh and away you go combine and over top of these rocks and you you just kind of hold your breath and, oh. and you, you eat a few rocks off and on when you're combining but throughout the season we typically try to start planting in late april after all the snow has melted and the ground temperatures finally gotten warm enough we can go plant and then we'll work into may we we usually hopefully try and finish around the 10th of may and after that we're into spraying in crop for weeds um and then we we start working on uh getting combines ready and trucks ready and and in the meantime we're fixing fence and and keeping the cows out to pasture making sure they got good fresh water and uh, mineral licks and um, getting the bulls out to pasture for breeding season so it's it's never a dull moment here we're always doing something all year round Absolutely. Now, now, Kyle, you mentioned livestock there. How's the grass looking up in Montana this year? I know you've seen some dryness in the past. You have enough pasture this year for all the cows? We're really dry in the northern part of the county where we live is is very dry compared to just on the southern half of our county and then the southern half of the whole state is very wet. How it's, big is your uh, county, it, Kyle? You hit Highway 2, and, and everything south of Highway 2 has gotten quite a bit more rain than we have. But we're, we had a lot of snow over the winter that, that helped the grasses and, and replenished all of our uh, water pits. So I think we'll have enough to get through, um, you know, to where we put the cows out in the fields after harvest. I have kind of a maybe a dumb question, but when I'm thinking about your area of Montana, it's pretty sparse uh, compared to, you know, Iowa, where we are, where we can just drive, you know, 15, 20, maybe an hour down the road to take our corn or our beans to an elevator. In your part of the country, are you trucking a long ways to take your crops? And then my second part of that question is, can you take those crops, could you take those crops to a Canadian elevator since you're so close to the Canadian border? Yes, we we truck a long ways. Uh, from our farm, the nearest elevator is about, I think it's about, what is it, hundred miles one oh way. Oh my gosh! Oh wow! Okay. To the to the nearest elevator, um, it's usually about two hours one way mm-hmm. to go where we haul wheat, uh, where we haul our canola. We, we got very lucky this year. Uh, there's a, a new company that kind of come up over by Conrad, Montana, that made an agreement with a corporation out of Viterra, out of Washington State, and they can take our canola over there. And then there's a new facility in Great Falls, Montana, that just got built for oil seeds as well. But Great Falls from and Conrad from my farm are about 250 miles oh, one way. Geez. We just get in the truck and we drive all day and come back home. Jeez. Now, I'm not all that familiar with canola pricing and, and how the you know premium structures work. I did. Can you justify hauling it 250 miles? 
Yeah. Okay. I, on on our farm, I I personally selected some seed, the uh, Nexera seed, and there's a there's a premium for Nexera seed due to the fact that the oil is a premium oil used and for various reasons. Uh, and they they give you about three dollars a hundredweight more over regular oil seeds, which turns out to be quite a bit better profit for us. On a on an average year, you're gonna be twenty five to thirty bushel an acre, you know, with average rainfall and everything. And on a, a little above average year, maybe you get forty. Uh this year we're a little short on rain, we might be 15 to 20 bushel an acre. Mm. Kyle, what's the breakdown What's the breakdown of acreage when you look at your durum, your canola seed, pasture ground? What's your breakdown acreage-wise of how many of each of those crops you're planting or harvesting? Okay. We have, currently this year, we're about 1,600 acres of lentils. Uh, I think we're about 2,200 acres of canola, right around 6,000 acres of spring wheat. Mm. And then we have uh, about eight or 900 acres of hay barley. Uh, I'm missing a couple of them in here somewhere. <laughs> we're, we're, I think we seeded about 9,000 acres this year, and then due to the lack of rain, we we chose to Kim follow about fifteen hundred to two thousand acres and and just let it rest for a year mm-hmm. and, and keep it in Kim follow rotation. Now, can you walk us through? For a lot of us in the Corn Belt, we've never had to worry about fallow. We've never thought about it. What is Kim fallow? What does that mean? Well, instead of plowing it with a with a plow, you just take your sprayer out there on the wheat stubble from last year, and and you'll spray. Uh, for instance, Roundup and and 240 and and just burn down the weeds and the stubble from the previous year will over the winter it'll snow and and it'll catch that snow up here and retain the moisture a lot better um, to where we go into next year versus crop on crop on crop we have a year of rest without growing a crop in the Kimpolo rotation. Gotcha. That makes sense. Now, we continue to hear more and more disease and pest pressure down here. Of course, a lot of our growers are corn on corn, and now we're seeing some beans on beans. You guys, with nine or ten different crops, I imagine your rotations can get fairly complicated. What crosses your mind when you're putting a planting plan together in the winter? What what steps do you go through to figure out what's going where? Uh, well, we we keep a pretty good record of, of what we're going to plant, and you're also thinking ahead uh, about three, four years. Oh, wow. Crop insurance limits you on pulse crops like lentils and peas. Every third year, you can't go peas and lentils year after year after year due to disease and and Mm. crop insurance regulations. You have to go every third year. So in between those, you have to plant something such as canola or wheat or barley or durum in the off seasons. Then you have to think about, okay, I have these off seasons. 
now I got to watch what chemicals I use in canola and spring wheat or durum that doesn't have residual so I can go back to my pulse crops on that third year. Huh. I'm not going to lie. That so sounds I, like I a whole lot harder. I try about five years. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it takes a lot of thinking. And you record your chemicals, you know, down to the T. And and we read a lot of labels in the, in the wintertime. Oh, yeah. You read a lot and, and you, you make sure that we're – we use the new stuff, but we also talk with our chemical reps and and tell them here's our plan and we want to do this and and we plan ahead and it's it's a process that you plan ahead three to four years because you want to know where you can plant your pulse crops in that rotation. Wow! Uh, just to keep ahead of the game and and not screw up and have a an accident or a wreck just because you used the wrong chemical one year. Yeah, that sounds a lot more hands-on than uh, some of our more traditional corn and soybean growers. Yeah. Wow. (laughs) Well, Kyle, we really appreciate your time today. We're definitely going to have to get you back on sometime soon to talk about other things going on in that neck of the woods. Thanks again for your time. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate it. It was uh, great. All right. Well, again, that was Kyle with on there. Interesting just to hearing a different part or a perspective of agriculture than we usually hear in the Midwest about corn and soybeans. You know, Delaney, it kind of dawned on me, this is Independence Day week. Uh-huh. We talked Monday, agriculture in the southeast. We talked Tech Tuesday with uh, agriculture farm worker help, predominantly on the west coast. We talked today with Kyle up in the northern Great Plains. Folks, tune in tomorrow to see what part of the country or globe we talk about then. Yeah, I think we already kind of teased that earlier in the podcast, but if you weren't paying attention, you might want to go back and re-listen. <laughs> Maybe I wasn't paying attention. <laughs> Maybe. Mike, no surprise. If folks do want to go tune back in, Delaney, where should they go to hear all of our past episodes? Absolutely. We have all of those housed on our beautiful website, agnewsdaily.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter. We're constantly sharing new news, new information as we and jokes and funny stuff too you know gotta keep it entertaining but find us on facebook and twitter just by searching for ag news daily with that mike should we let the people go let's let them go